Two and a half years ago, I was in a lost and desperate place. I felt like I had lost everything that mattered most to me, my marriage and my family. Thankfully, before I really lost it all, I made some difficult but necessary choices that started leading me towards a better path. It was difficult because I still had to do the hard work and humble myself and repair my marriage. I had to rebuild a foundation for my family and then figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I felt incredibly insecure and unclear about where I was going to go from there. Can you relate to this feeling? Have you been beat up by some choices you made? Or maybe it wasn't your choice, but you have to live with the consequences of someone else's bad choice. Regardless of how it happened, you still want to get your confidence back. What helped me was knowing the five critical steps to getting my confidence back. And I want to share them with you. I learned that there were simple decisions and thoughts that needed to be made every day in order to help grow my confidence again. Confidence in myself, as a husband, as a father, and in my career. I've put together for you these five simple steps in a short 12-minute video and a printable PDF companion guide that will help you walk through the steps to building your confidence. To access the video and guide, simply visit CourageousCommunity.com, give your name and your email, and I'll send them to you. It's that simple. Visit CourageousCommunity.com and get your confidence back. This is CourageCast, faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey, everyone, this is Eric Nordoff, and I am the host of this little podcast called The Courage Cast. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for the first two weeks that we had. This is now our third week of since coming back from a little bit of a summer hiatus. I want to thank you guys for all the great feedback and for sticking with me through it. I hope you're enjoying these episodes. I tell you what, we've got such a great lineup to come of all of the great things to come on the Courage Cast in future weeks. I'm already doing a lot of interviews. I'm talking to some amazing people. And stay tuned for a little bit of an announcement of what's coming up next week. At the end of this episode, I'll announce who our special guest will be next week. And you're not going to want to miss who this is because this is one of my most, I guess, he's influenced me. Uh, in many, many ways, uh, ever since I started doing this podcasting thing. So I'm grateful. It's kind of a somebody I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a while, and I finally got the guts to ask him, and he said yes. So that's going to be exciting. So I'll announce him, our next week's guest, at the end of this episode. But today, on this episode, I am thrilled to have integrity recording artist Elisa Turner on the podcast. And what's interesting is I know her because we go to church together and I've known her before she was an integrity recording artist and her and her husband Jaime are just some of my favorite people. I intentionally seek out these people to give a hug to at church and want to spend time with 
outside of church just because I like them so much. Um, Jaime is somebody that just makes me laugh. And considering the story that he and his wife have, uh, it's, it's amazing they can laugh at all. But I think laughter sometimes is incredible medicine for the soul. And the fact that they have the joy of the Lord in them, despite some of the things that they've experienced, uh, is, is pretty uh, powerful. And so you'll learn why and how she gets this in this interview here that I have coming up with Elisa Turner. Her album is coming out this week. You can download it on iTunes. It is an, a self-titled EP, Elisa Turner, her first single, My Prayer for You. I'll be playing some of the music from her album uh, on this podcast episode, but You'll want to support her and get this EP, which is basically a short, smaller album on iTunes. And that's the best place, best place to go to download her music. Um, I'll include a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes. If you ever want to look at links, anything that we discuss, you can find it at courageouscommunity.com slash episode 286, 286. So courage, courageouscommunity.com slash 286 is where you can look at all the show notes for this interview today. Uh, We'll also include a little bit of a YouTube link to her story. Uh, Powerful, powerful. Well, Elisa is well known for her ability to connect through stories on stage and through her writing, but hearing the full extent of what she's had to, to walk through is what's truly impactful. So on this episode, Elisa and I are going to discuss the day she lost her father and the process of grief that followed. We talk about her fight with Lyme disease, which I know all too well because my wife has fought Lyme disease uh, for a very, very long time. And uh, it just, quite frankly, it sucks. I hate Lyme disease and I uh, never want anybody to go through that. So she talks about that and then how she overcame the depression that often comes with the disease. And then Elisa also shares the heartbreaking story of losing her son. You might remember Jaime sharing his, her, his version of that on a previous episode of the Courage Cast. But she shares more and more than all of that, the power of God's comfort in the midst of pain. Well, at first glance, it seems that Elisa has been dealt a rough hand in life. But to hear her take on tragedy and the faith that follows affliction that's incredibly inspiring. Every hardship that she's faced, she's put into her music, making her debut album raw and refreshing as a Christian artist. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as if I'm standing on a stage, let me introduce to you my friend, Elisa Turner. Okay, I am sitting across Elisa Turner. Elisa, welcome to the Courage Cast. Thank you. We have the one and the only Elisa Turner here who um, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. (laughs) You got sick last week. Yes, a little under the weather. Yep, yep. But uh, And I heard you were sick yesterday and I thought, oh boy. I know, I know. I came back around. You did. You're great. Okay, so... Uh, Elisa, we go to just a, a few things, mm-hmm. a little background. Yep. We go to church together. Yep. Uh, you have, you are, uh, you've got an amazing voice, singing voice. Uh, you've been a writer yep. for a long time, independent. Yep. 
uh, songwriter yeah. and um, and a different style of music, really, right? You you kind of were doing singer songwriter stuff for before. a long time. Yeah, I spent a long uh, probably through my teen years and then all the way through my twenties was always very singer songwriter storyteller mm-hmm. kind of music, um, and I still write like that and, and stuff like that. But uh, the past couple years, I've kind of been. Um, not really pulled into it, but just some doors have opened for me to start writing for um, our church and um, mm-hmm. some worship music, and that's been that's been a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, you're you're doing amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, with that, uh, I know you're working with um, our worship pastor Michael Farron. Yes, who has mul- wears multiple hats. Yes, he does. <laughs> he is a producer, a worship leader, and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I've just really been excited because this type of style of your music that that you're writing now and that you're going to be releasing soon um, is mostly worship. Yes. Okay. Tell me about that transition real quick. Yeah. So uh, when I think about the transition, I think back to probably about two and a half years, maybe two, two and a half. Um, And up until that point, I had still, my husband and I had finally moved to Nashville and I was still on the weekends. I'd go out and do um, uh, festivals and house shows and college shows and things like that. Um, And it, it was going well. It was at least bringing in enough money to like pay for gas and maybe a bill here or there. Um, and I, and I love, I love being on the road and I love connecting with people and sharing stories and as well as hearing theirs back. But it kind of did get to a point where I felt like I had this fire within me to keep doing it and to do it, um, to do it bigger, but it just wasn't happening. And so I remember there was just, there was one day that I remember I was praying One thing I love about the road is I'm in the car a lot by myself, so I'm just always talking to the Lord. You like that? I love that. Love being by yourself. And I'm the worst person to travel with because I won't even turn on the radio. I'll just like I just get lost in, which is not good. I I do keep my eyes on the road, but (laughs) I get very lost in like I'll just be talking with the Lord and kind of I process everything and process um, verbally. Um, or do you process it in your head internally? Yeah. yeah. So I like the quiet. Um, but, but anyway, so yeah, so I was on the road and, and doing these shows, but I, I got to this one day I started praying and I, I was like, Lord, um, uh, typically I would, I would pray like, please just keep, I would thank him for these opportunities, but I would say like, please keep opening these doors or, um, or kind of show me, um, where to what to pursue that maybe is or something I could change that's not working well and I remember this one day I was praying I said okay uh, this isn't working and I, I kind of feel like I'm cornered in this um, so I said whatever door you open I'll go through and that that's kind of a scary prayer to pray but I, I meant it with all my heart I and I didn't even know if it would be related to music or if the Lord would shift my path, but I wanted to just kind of, okay, I've held tight to this for a really long time. For I think you should go into the coffee mug industry. <laughs> the way you make, you hold that awesome coffee mug yes. <laughs> at church. I already told your husband this and I told him this at on, a, on the podcast yeah. that I'm jealous of your huge <laughs> mugs. They're just like the so best many. things in the world. I am a hot cocoa addict for Is sure. Is it hot cocoa? Yeah, it's so, not even coffee. So, so I actually, so for a long time, it was only hot cocoa. And if you ever see me with a gigantic mug, it's always filled with hot cocoa. But I did find, because you know I have food allergies, so I, I found this almond milk iced coffee. Ooh. I've gotten everybody addicted to it. It's fabulous. But I'll at is least... Is that that cool mug? Uh, yes, it's exactly... Uh, case, like yes, the bottle? Yes, it's kind of like a, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting shape. It's a dark, um, it's, yes. it's like 
brown. Yeah, brown. And, uh-huh. mm-hmm. You yep. think it's chocolate milk, but it's not. Exactly. But it's got a little kick to it. Mm. Um, yeah. Yes. So, so by all means, I'm like, Lord, please, you know, whatever industry you want me to go in. But <laughs> Sorry, I told you. <laughs> no, I love that. Okay. I am known as, as the yeah big, gigantic coffee cup girl. Okay. I should probably sell that at the merch table. You um, should. You should totally. <laughs> uh, you got to have an Elisa Turner huge mug. Yes, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start dreaming up that design. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I prayed this prayer. And so it was it was quite soon after that um, where um, Michael Farron, who you know we all know and have, I've worked with for a while, he had written a song that um, th- originally was going to be pitched to Jesus Culture, and it was yep. a song called No More Chains, yeah. and he just needed someone with a certain vocal style to come and demo it. Uh, so I get a call from him one day, and other than a co-write here there, I'd never really worked with him, but he's like, hey, could, would you come in and sing this song? And I was like, sure. So he didn't send me anything or prepare me ahead of time. I just kind of walked in. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I just kind of walked in and he, so he would kind of feed me a line and like a, a melody of how it should go. And then I would sing something like that. And we kind of went back and forth and that just opened that song was just, it was a blessing. It opened doors in not only in my heart, but all of a sudden I started leading that song at our church yep. and started being pulled onto Powerful. Um, writing it's, trips. Yeah. And, and it goes well with your story yeah, actually. Yeah, and then yeah. we may even play a little bit of the song if awesome. I can get permission to do that yeah. um, during this podcast, yeah. just kind of as a, so I people can that. hear it because the lyrics of that song talk about no more chains and it really fits in with your, yeah, your story. It's yes. like you were wanting something more, yeah. but you felt chained down and yeah. maybe this was kind of it's, one of those ways. Yeah. It's been That's, a blessing of a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it on the new album? It's so it won't be, uh, it was almost, uh, but it was between that and lift my eyes. And mm-hmm. we went with lift my eyes for okay. this album. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. We, we sing both of those songs yeah. at church. Um, all right. So, so that's kind of just a quick little yeah. intro yeah. Ab- about you and what you're doing right now. And yeah. we'll get back to your album. I want to finish up by cool. talking about your album and how we can get connected with you. But I want people to know you. Yeah. And because I think you've you've gone through quite a story mm-hmm. in your life. You've got a you've got a really, really awesome testimony. Mm-hmm. And um and I guess I'd like to start with uh your 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 family life yeah. growing up. Yeah. Uh, there was a pretty profound thing that happened to you when you were I don't remember the age, but just kind of start right. wherever, you, however you'd like to about yeah, that part of your when, story. Like briefly, I mean, I I was I was born in Hawaii, and I was really? random. I know it was so random. My dad was my whole life. My dad was a worship pastor, and so that was just the church that he happened to be working at when I was oh, born. Why didn't you stay there? <laughs> I know, I know, and I I don't think I remember anything about it. I like I look at pictures, and I'm like, maybe I no, I don't remember that <laughs> at all. But um, so yeah, so I grew up uh, a PK and. Um, I, I felt, I feel very blessed to have had the family and the foundation I had when just what I was born into. And, um, was he a pastor, a worship yeah, pastor? Yeah, worship pastor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. music. So yes, music was so a big music, part of your life. Huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, worship music as well as just all music. We all had such a love for music. Yeah. Um, and so we, yeah, and we were, uh, one brother, uh, older brother and, um, we were a very close family and uh, moved around quite a bit growing up, but kind of ended in North Carolina, and that's uh, was the church that he last church that he pastored at. Um, and I kind of went through high school there and attempted college, uh, gave it my my best try, but college try, yes. But at the end of the day, uh, you would always find me sitting at the piano, and every, everyone around me kind of knew, you know, this is really something she's got to figure out. Um, so I kind of packed my bags like 
I'm, I'm a pretty in the moment person. And if I don't do it in that moment, I probably won't do it. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty much like, I think I'm going to do this. Where's my suitcase? <laughs> so I started putting stuff in my suitcase and filled up my car. And I was probably a good couple hours into the trip going to Nashville from Lynchburg, Virginia, where I called my mom and dad and let them know what I was doing. And my mom's, wait, of course, you didn't even tell them? Yeah, I didn't you tell just them. Took off? Yeah, because, you know, sometimes if you tell them ahead of time, like, I just, they're going to talk you out of it. They're going to talk me out of it. <laughs> so I'm like, wow. I'm sure my mom was in the corner praying for me, my safety. And my dad's like, okay, we got to wire you money for a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But he was he was such a uh worship or a music lover and a worship lover as well, but uh but such a dreamer. And so he really understood that drive within me. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so I, I showed up in Nashville, knew nobody, had no friends, no place to stay. Um, but quickly kind of found found those things and I spent about a year there um, just playing open mic nights and dropping my demos off for anybody that would probably, they probably never listened to them, but mm-hmm. I, I did what I could. Yep. As um, we all do. Yes. <laughs> especially in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then it, it was right around that, the year mark of me being there is kind of when everything in life shifted. Um, I, I was at, I went to this one place that I, my family, we loved going. Uh, they had these amazing biscuits. So we basically only went there for the biscuits, but we would pay for dinner as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was talking to my dad on my phone, on the phone and, um, and tell, told him where I was at and he was jealous and we laughed about it and stuff. But, uh, probably about an hour later I was at the mall across the street and I was by myself and I get a call, a random um, number I didn't know and answer it. And um, it was someone from a hospital and they were trying to find my mom. So nobody would really tell me what was going on. Um, and so uh, I kind of went and sat down on these chairs in the middle of the mall. And I waited for a while and was reaching out to friends and other family members just trying to figure out what was happening. And it was just like the more time that passed, the more like my stomach started to kind of sink. Um, they wouldn't even tell you it was your wouldn't. dad? They wouldn't tell me anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they The only thing they did say was, are you a relative of Ross Turner? Mm-hmm. Um, so now looking back, because like, I was the last person to talk with him, so I was the last number on his cell phone. Oh. So they called that first number. And, okay. Mm-hmm. But they were trying to get like some friends of mine in town to come be with me before they would tell me that my dad had passed. So um, I... I at this point, nobody was telling me anything. So I start to leave the mall and I'm kind of shooken up. And I remember walking out of it and my brother finally called and just said, dad had a heart attack. And and at first when I heard that, I was like, okay, so something's going on. Um, but then he said he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just remember it was like that instant. It was like any air in my lungs was just gone. And, mm-hmm. and it's like any any energy or anything to hold me up straight was it just kind of left my body i remember falling on the ground and um a couple of just strangers kind of picked me up and uh, they asked me what's wrong and i said my dad died um and i was just in such disbelief like i just i just i had never been through something like that before where all of a sudden like the, the whole world kind of flipped upside down and mm-hmm. um they walked me to my car and uh, I drove back to my apartment and I just remember I just screamed no 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 I screamed it a thousand times it's just it's like a nightmare it, really it was it's like this can't this can't be happening mm-hmm. um so that that flipped my world upside down big time mm-hmm. yeah for quite a quite a while after that yeah yeah so when was this how many years ago so now? this was um 
this was 2004. Okay, yeah. 2004. Yeah. Uh, and so you you get the news. You you obviously your your whole world is crashing yeah. on you, and yeah. you go back and yeah. deal with all of that. Oh yeah. And did you then go straight back to Nashville and continue on with what you were doing, or so, did you? So at first I did, um, you know, it's like after a big loss or just a grief or a big change in life, you you try to find those those footprints you kind of left off on. Mm -hmm. So I tried to like, okay, plug back in. I've always had this saying when you do what you know to do when you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes that's like the absolute basics in life, like especially in something like a loss or a big grief, uh, job loss, any kind of, you're just like, okay, I, today I need to get out of bed and I need mm -hmm. to brush my teeth and I need to take the dogs out. And so I tried to plug back into what I knew to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I came back to Nashville for, I want to say at least a couple of months, mm -hmm. um, went back to, I was nannying and went back to doing that. And, um, this is the town to nanny in. Everybody of course, a everybody nanny. needs a nanny. It is the best job to, to do other than music in this town. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I did that, but I, I just remember, and I remember I was in the house I was nannying in and I, I just, you just have those moments where you just remember every little detail. And I, I was standing in their living room and I was still in this state of incredible shock. I like, like, I mean, I, I probably talked to my dad a couple times a day. Mm -hmm. So to just all of a sudden, like, I remember his phone number, 919-810-1405. I mean, I just, <laughs> all of those things. And all of a sudden, it wasn't showing up anymore in my phone. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just remember this image of a light switch. And I just, in my mind, I just flicked it off. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and it just went really dark. And it was, um, it stayed dark quite for quite a while after that. So you... Uh because he he was the one that you modeled you know, like mu yeah. did he give you your love for music yes. and you know he was such a part he of you fo your formation yes. that I can, you know I can imagine that when someone's that close with you you said you talked to him a couple three times yeah. a day or yeah. whatever and then yeah. all of a sudden gone, gone I mean just... that's like your best friend yeah. Yeah. gone yeah. so I can I can't blame you for yeah for turning everything yeah. off and just everything went dark. So you, you, you felt so hurt. Yeah. The way you processed your hurt was yeah. to shut off your shut off. emotions. I'd never experienced that before. So I had no idea how to deal with it. And I'm just such a, a feeler by nature. So, which isn't, you know, works well sometimes when you're writing a song, but mm -hmm. when you're dealing with hardships in life, you can kind of get lost into certain, uh, valleys or avenues of just feeling and and some of it is irrational and some of it doesn't make sense and some of it overwhelms you and and you can get stuck there for quite a while yeah so how many years were you in the dark i want to say the worst of it was about a year uh the worst of it yeah i i remember certain feelings or thoughts of like if i can't have my life the way i had it then i don't want it at all mm -hmm. so i just went into this incredible isolation mode mm -hmm. um, which is the absolute worst thing you can do um it, to me at the time i just felt like okay nothing is safe now i don't have my dad he he just he was he just made my world go around mm -hmm. um and i had a i had a walk you know i had a walk with the lord but i think to a degree you have your parents faith for a long time when you're growing up i, I did I, I believed what they believed and not until you're really challenged of, okay, well, what do you believe because you do, not because what others do. So during that time, I was like, I doubted everything. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't doubt, I didn't doubt the Lord or, or, 
his existence or his love for me, but I felt very abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very, um, I was very angry and very hurt. And so mm-hmm. for about a year, I, I just, I, I distanced myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, once coming out of that, I have fought very hard to never, I, I've still struggled with a lot of things along the way and made bad decisions and gotten stuck, um, dealt with sin, but I've never walked away from my people, mm-hmm. the people the Lord's put around me because there's, and you're going to think this is silly, but <laughs> there's, there's this lo- there's this scene in Harry Potter. Okay. Where, here we go. Okay, here, here we, we go. go. Now let's so open this up. <laughs> I really love Harry Potter, <laughs> but there's this scene where, um, I forget the girl's name, but she's telling Harry that, Basically, what it, what it boiled down to was that you're not as much of a threat if you're by yourself. You're a lot weaker when you're on your own. Of course. So stop, so stop pushing people away. Let them come in. But people aren't afraid of your mess because they have their own. They know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So I'm not afraid. So let them, let them come be around you. This mm-hmm. is real life. Yeah. It sucks That's good sometimes. advice. That's good advice. Yeah. So don't. The devil can get you if oh you're alone, gosh, but yes. he can't if you're in, yeah. in numbers. You've got, let, let the army of people who love you, mm-hmm. let them be your army. When oh, you I like it. that. Yeah. That's yeah. a good takeaway right yeah. there. So what got you out? Like, How did you get out of it and then move on? I because think, we're going to talk yeah. about you meeting Jaime yes, or yeah. Jaime, yeah, <laughs> as I like to call or him, or Jamie. I mean, ja- whatever. No, you know. Jamie's weird, but Jaime for sure. Jaime was on the. Yeah. If you guys listen to the Courage Cast, I don't remember the episode number, but you Courage Cast listeners, I interviewed her husband. Yeah, so you'll you'll have to yeah. go back to that because part of because we get into how you guys intertwined yeah. and some of the things that you guys <laughs> went through. But um, so, how did you get out of your? So, I, if there was one thing I can look back on that time, I, it was during that whole time that I was kind of isolated and shut off. I did not play the piano and piano was such a huge part of, even as a little girl, I mean, sitting at the piano and piano lessons. And, um, I started very young and it was just, I was always so moved by music and I, I had such throughout so many years, Mm -hmm. I had such incredible times with the Lord when I would just sit down and play. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's writing up songs and lyrics or it's just um, just the way the music moved me. Um, and so, but during that year, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't, I didn't want to be reminded of anything I loved before. I didn't want to hear music. I didn't want to feel it. Um, I, f- I feared it would be, I think, too painful of a reminder. Um, and so, but there was finally a day where I finally sat down. And I remember, I was like, I, I don't even know. I don't remember. I don't remember how to play. I won't remember what to play. Um, and, and I can't even tell you if it, it was even good when I sat down and played. But I, it's almost like okay, I, there, was a little, there was a little muscle memory, I think, in my fingers. And I, I started playing. And it was just like, it wasn't a big aha moment for me. But it was like the most gentlest touch from the Lord, which is always how he has dealt with me mm-hmm. and loved me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm okay now. I, I think I'm going to be okay. It was your healing. Yeah. It just did you start of, playing piano before you went back to church? Like, did you like totally not go to church or anything yeah, like so that? Yeah. So that and, whole year I was, yeah. I, I, maybe once or twice I went um, for like, something I had to be a part of. Right. But other than that, I... I was on my own. So, so your healing came yeah. from getting on the piano, yeah, yeah, yeah. and 
were you thinking of your dad when you would play? Uh, was it, if, w- yeah. was that the healing and how, how did that The healing sort of happen? I think with my dad has taken pretty much every day since January 31st, 2004. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I probably could fall apart about it tomorrow. There, there are other things I've been through in life where the Lord has brought such peace mm-hmm. and even, and we're going to get to those. Yeah. And even, even though they're still hard and I think, I think that big first loss for me and it being my dad, my best friend, sh- just shook me so much that it has taken it's taken all the time since then to really find peace, to be able to look at his picture and just not completely lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, sitting down at the piano by myself, playing songs, making up stuff, um, has been a huge part of the way I think the Lord has has brought healing in my life. I really do. I, I really feel like he he incorporated piano in me at such an early age uh, because he knew I was going to need a lot of those moments. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it wasn't ever about the music. I'm not that great of a player, honestly. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, the key of C is my, my homeboy. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's so hard to describe. It's just something that happens in my heart when I sit down and play. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what that feels yeah. like. I, I mean, I'm a piano player myself. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's just, therapy. It's therapy. It really is. Yeah. yeah. I will lift my eyes to where All right, so uh, you began playing again. Yep. Uh, you, I, I know you got back on the road yep. and started kind of pursuing. Like, had you? Did you do an album then? Did you finally do an album? So yeah, you- it was quite soon. So that was kind of my first before before all that. I had done lots of um, like demos and I'd made you know of course trips to Nashville and but never really put out an album or went out on the road much. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my first um, within that first year of kind of getting back. Plugging back into life and my family and my friends and my community, um, I had this kind of random coincidences of opportunity to do um, an album with a guy named Robbie C. Mm-hmm. He has a Robbie C. band, um, and so we made a record together. And then I took that out on the road for years and would play for anybody that would listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I played uh, polka festivals and churches yes. and uh, parking lots, and I played for venues that say they promoted the show but nobody came um <laughs> uh, but honestly there and there's always this one show i always think back to it was in ohio i remember it was in the dead of summer it, i mean the parking for this venue was like a couple blocks away it's just me and and ever, anyone who's traveled with me knows i carry a huge keyboard it's like a yamaha p250 mm-hmm. it's it feels like heavy. a dead body pretty mm-hmm. much inside the case. And so I'm rolling this down this neighborhood, drip, dripping in sweat. Uh, I finally get up on the stage <laughs> and set up and play. Nobody's there. No one. No, literally the only person is in the back is the barista. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, How big is this venue? It was it? actually quite big. <laughs> it was, it was surprise. I would have felt better if it was some little hole in the wall place, but it was actually quite a decent size. <laughs> Nobody was there. And I, at first, like, 
I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, feeling insecure and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And this, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I remember, okay, I got myself together at least mentally. And I, I had a very quick conversation with myself and I said, okay, this is it. If you can play your heart out to an empty room, love this, love what you do, still share all these songs and even your stories you from even the shared heart. Stories. Oh yeah. Like I did the full like what I would normally do. I I did everything. Didn't have any hecklers. I did no hecklers and I don't know if that barista paid attention because I couldn't see them. They were not in my peripheral vision. It would have been but... funny if they had at least brought you like a latte or yeah, something. I know. I'm like, do you have almond milk please? <laughs> um but uh but so I was like, I can either do that and love it, and I and I just know I'm meant to do this. I can get through anything, or I can just pack it up now. It had at least cooled off, so I'm like, at least I wouldn't sweat on the way back to the car. Um, but I, you know, I chose I chose the first one. I said I'm gonna I'm gonna love playing like I do when I'm sitting in my bedroom and playing these songs, mm-hmm. and even if it's just me and the Lord, I, it's such an honor to to do this, to be mm-hmm. able to do this. So I played my heart out and I've done it ever since. <laughs> Random question. Yeah. When, what was the, what would you say? That was probably your worst attended yeah. event. Yeah. What was, what's your most memorable highlight so far of your music career? Um, gosh, there's definitely a, just if, a, a variety of moments I've played, you know, I've done festivals where you could say, Oh, there's 10,000 people there. But I'm like, there were also extremely big artists who mm-hmm. <laughs> were, you know, it was festivals. So I'm like, pretty much nobody came for me, but I made a lot of friends. Um, but I would say the most memorable ones are the cities that there's just certain shows, certain, um, sometimes they would start with house shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and house shows are both, amazing and exhausting. I mm. mean, there's no green room in a house show. So when you show up to someone's house at four o'clock, three or four o'clock, you're there all afternoon, evening, you guys eat dinner together, you put on a show, and then they're also your host home for the night. Yeah. So you're with them or with a group of people the whole time. Um, but at the same time, you make such a such an incredible connection with these people. And they and it's far beyond fans. I mean, they become friends, family even. Mm-hmm. I, I've had people who I met in house shows come to my wedding when I got married. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I look back to some of those, and they were very hard to do. And it, I barely made enough to get to the next town to play and uh, slept in my car many, many nights, okay. showered in truck stations, which surprisingly is very clean. They have very clean standards there. Good. Um, they even provide hotels. Yeah, just in Never case. done it, yeah, but I might try case. it. The Flying J. Uh, it's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> but, but, flying uh, J is better than Love's? Um, it kind of depends. Like, and I always try. I never p- get off on the exit unless I can see it from the road. If I can see it from the the highway, then I'm like, that's going to be a good. That's one. your place. If it's tucked away, be scared. Questionable. Um, mm-hmm. Questionable. Okay. Um, but but I I think back to those small shows and like the really heart to heart connections I made with yeah. people. That that has always mattered the most to me. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, so when did you discover that you were not healthy? Or there was something wrong with your health. Yeah. So it was years. I mean, I, I probably spent about six-ish years straight just constantly being on the road. I would go back to Raleigh for maybe a week to two weeks, and then I'd leave for the road again. And as the years went on, the shows, they got more they, bigger, and they paid better. And um, I you know, picked up management or label along the way, and uh, picked up a road manager as well as a couple of dogs. So everybody tried.
traveled Whoa, in my CRV. Really? <laughs> in your CRV, you brought in, the dogs yeah, too? Yeah, I, uh, I got one dog and then we were, uh, side story, we were in the middle of a snowstorm uh, in Oklahoma and I, and I was just looking back at Winnie and she was by herself. I was like, you know what? She needs a buddy. So I started Googling, in the middle of the snowstorm, I started Googling on like their version of Craigslist for like dogs. You know, people are always selling dogs. Sure. So some lady in this snowstorm met us in the next town in a Walmart parking lot with a Sheltie pup. <laughs> oh my my road manager just about killed me because I was like, oh, just go. Yeah, turn here. She had no idea. Uh, so we, so I picked up a couple of dogs along the way, but we were one big happy family. <laughs> I you was re- at least. You really do spontaneous. I really do. I go for it. <laughs> uh, that's so cool. Um, we, uh, sorry to all the hotels we snuck the dogs in. I'll just, <laughs> sorry in advance. <laughs> yeah, the future. Because you still have dogs. Yes. I have three dogs now. Okay. Very, very big dogs. They're, have- they're just about too big to travel at this point yeah. they're carrying a little winter weight so they get stuck uh, with timing quite a bit <laughs> um all right so so you were we didn't even talk about when did you realize your health was yes. okay yeah okay so yeah a couple years uh into it and um things were busy and and going really well and then it was i was kind of like it was slowly over probably a year or two where just getting more tired than normal. Um, I thankfully had an amazing road manager named Sarah Scales, and she started to do a lot of the driving, so I could rest on the way there. And I I had had some symptoms for years that kind of, I just kind of got used to living or maneuvering around. I was like, you know, nobody could really figure out why, so I just tried to eat and live as healthy as I could. Um, But it finally got to a point where um, the neuro and cognitive symptoms really were the most difficult and prominent early on. Um, I was having really bad memory loss. Mm-hmm. Um, my speech was getting really slurred during the show, so people weren't able to understand me very well. Really? Yeah. I um, I started having seizures. Um, I would get the sh- like tremors, but like just where the whole body would shake. Um, and so that was kind of when it was like, okay, something's yeah. really wrong. Because mm-hmm. um, pain and fatigue were, you know, definitely there, but there's there were just so many reasons doctors could come up with that. But once I, you know, th- once the neuro stuff started to happen, it's like, okay, something's really wrong. Mm-hmm. So I remember um, I finally went back to Raleigh and went through dozens of doctors and, you know, they would find they, my blood work typically was always a mess, but nobody could really put all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took it actually took a couple years of going home, going to see doctors until I was just unable to perform to be out on the road anymore. It was just I, I was in so much pain. I couldn't think straight. Couldn't remember my songs. My keyboard was plastered with like post-it notes of lyrics mm, and even mm. like reminding me what do I normally say in between songs. I couldn't remember anything. Um, and so I, I remember my last trip home and I I just, it was just, again, a day of remembering detail. And I remember getting into bed and that was kind of it for honestly, for a couple years. And it, it still took time after that to figure out I had Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Um, I had some point had been bitten. There's a few theories of when Mm -hmm. I never, you know, uh, I never got that big, telltale rash or uh i don't remember flu-like symptoms you know it's lyme disease when you 
you see the tick and you catch it early, it, it can be very treatable. But I mean, ticks can be smaller than a freckle sometimes. Sure. And you don't always get this big flu-like symptom or this big bullseye rash. It's like some people have it and they have no idea. Mm-hmm. The testing is very faulty. You can get a negative result, a positive result. I've, I could get either or today if I went and got my blood tested. Um, so it, it just took a while to really find out that that was a diagnosis. And by that point I was so sick. So it was years and years of, um, IV treatments and, um, and it unfortunately progressed far worse during those, those first couple years of treatments. Um, I had such, um, tons of seizures every day, but every day, every day seizures every day. Um, what would those look like? Like seizures, like you, would they last for a minute or two or they, they kind of ranged. I forget the the there's a certain name for the seizure I had, but my I it was almost like um I don't know the right word for it, but my whole whole body it wasn't the grand mall kind, but my whole body would shake to the point where um the worst ones were I st- I stopped breathing and mm. you know nine one one would have to be called or something like that, and so it was just like. And when and when they were happening, it's like I I was aware, yet I couldn't I didn't have control over my body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't speak. I couldn't I couldn't stop it. Um, and so that was happening all day. Uh, but kind of probably the worst of it, and the one of the most amazing things. And we'll we'll talk about how I met Jaime. But is that Jaime married me at my absolute worst? I had, I had a seizure on the plane ride to Disney World for our honeymoon. Yeah, that's what Jaime told um, me. Mm-hmm. Was in a wheelchair all week. Um, so, it, and then and then right after that even, probably for about the next six months was really to the point where they kind of prepared my mom, my stepdad, that I wasn't going to make it. Um, the muscle atrophy had gotten to the point where I, could, I couldn't walk, but I, uh, it had gotten to a point where I couldn't swallow anymore. Um, and so there was, of course, fears of aspiration, that kind of stuff, but I could no longer drink or eat or take medicine. So I had a feeding tube put in my stomach and everything had to go through that tube. Um, and that was, yeah, that was the scariest point of it. Mm. And you, like, what were you, like, were you preparing to die or what was like going through your mind? I, um. All those years, all the years that I I knew I was sick, but I was still out on the road. Um, there was such an there's such an adrenaline with traveling, mm-hmm. um, and then there's such a as honestly as dead as I would feel all day long. There was so much life that just welled up inside me when I would be at the venue or be with people and singing or sharing or talking to people, and that was it was so it just literally put air into my lungs and mm-hmm. and and just kept me dreaming and kept me going mm-hmm. so to all of a sudden be that sick now and to not be able to do that was just um it was devastating i felt like the world was still spinning and i was staying still mm-hmm. or it was moving on without me a bit uh so it was um it was very i felt again i, felt, I think it was a season of i felt very abandoned i felt left behind um and it it's really t- it took me years to get to a point where i've I have had to say the Lord, I always say this, the Lord has not brought me this far to leave me now. Mm. I, I wish I, I wish I could have said that to myself back in those years when I was bedridden. Um, I think the thing I thought about most laying the bed day after day, um, was that if I could, if I could get through this and I could share the story with someone else who's in bed and not knowing if they're going to live or die, um, 
that just meant more to me than anything. Just to just to be able to hold their hand, even if it's through a song, even if I don't ever meet them in person, um, if it gives them a little bit of hope to hold on or to get to the next day, because you just never know what the next day is going to bring. Um, it might change everything. And healing, unfortunately, is very slow, painfully slow at times. Um, but there would be days just... All of a sudden, I, I'd remember, wow, I haven't had this symptom in a while. And even though I had probably 50 more other symptoms still, at least that one is gone. Mm-hmm. And um, I would, I think it was a season of my life where I learned to appreciate the absolute tiniest of things like snow. Mm-hmm. If I looked out my window uh, during the winter months and I saw snow, I, I mean, I just, <laughs> I can't even tell you. I, it would just bring so much joy and light into my, my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I just, I look back at that time and I'm very thankful for the family the Lord put around me, even though I didn't have my dad, but I had an incredible stepfather um, and then an amazing husband who, like, welcome to marriage, this is going to be the (laughs) hardest time of your life, and and then some more Mm -hmm. uh, will come later, Um, so that, that's been tough, and he's an amazing man, but... um, I'm very thankful for a lot of things, and sometimes hard situations kind of have to push you to uh, be thankful sometimes for the little thing. Little by little, you inched your way out, yeah. and um, you you got to a place where you know you're you're married now. Yeah, you and yes. I meet now. I'm not going to get into you guys meeting, although yeah. there's some cute stories there. <laughs> um, but because you'll have to listen to the podcast uh, about that. Yeah. Did you end up listening to that episode? Yes. Okay. Like, he did okay. so good. He did good. <laughs> um, but so you guys found yourselves. Pregnant. Yes, yes. Big shock and surprise. At the same time you were trying to inch out of this yeah. Lyme disease. It was only, I mean, it had only been a couple of months and I'd even had the feeding tube out and was at least like Jaime was going to work full time and I was at least able to stay by myself for a while. I, you know, had constant, whether it was a speech therapist and Gosh. occupational therapist and physical therapists and nurses and just tons of stuff. So finally we were in our very first apartment and like kind of felt things were, were getting normal. Um, but I, I was still pretty sick. I mean, I was, I was in bed most of the day and kind of wait all day for him to come home. And, mm-hmm. um, I had all my dogs, so that always helped. That kept you company. Um, yeah, that kept me company, um, <laughs> and busy, but, um, but yeah, so from all the damage that Lyme had done, they had kind of assured us like pregnancy is just not going to be possible um, unless we you take other means, go other routes to to carry a child or get pregnant, and so it just wasn't on our mind. So all of a sudden, I, I remember I was in D.C. and I was seeing my Lyme doctor, um, and all of a sudden I threw up in the lobby, and I was like, "This is not normal." <laughs> and from that moment, 
until we delivered, I threw up the entire time. Oh, great! Um, so it was it was a it was a big shock. There were so many emotions. There was this the sickness of being of constantly throwing up was got to a pretty extreme point. Um, so that was. It's that amazing was, what our body can handle. I know. I'm like, Gosh, really? All the I, stuff that you went through and then the yeah, pregnancy. I never, I think hyperemesis, hypermesis, I never pronounce it right, but it was, um, it was insane. It was, yeah, I, I look back because I'd never, even when I had the flu, I mean, mm-hmm. nausea or throwing up, sorry guys, um, it just was never a huge part of like me ever getting sick. So I, I hate throwing I, up. I, you do. <laughs> uh, but you, sometimes it's like, ah, it's probably not bad. It'll, you know, once you throw up, you'll, you'll feel better. But this was just absolutely never ending. Um, I mean, I would lay flat in the bed and if I lifted up my head, it was like immediate. Um, so anything would set it off and, um, as the months went on, it kind of stabilized a bit, but we were, we were seeing a bunch of different doctors. Of course it was high risk. Um, and so I was in somebody's office at least every week, every other week. Um, and I remember this, it was right around our 12 week ultrasound and we hadn't told anybody we were pregnant. We, it was still kind of a shock. I was really sick. We were scared. What are we going to do? Um, and then in the back of our minds, we're like, is you know, we've been told that I probably, even if I got pregnant, I mean, at that point, the doctors were still saying, you have like little to no hormone in your body to support this. There's just no way that this is going to keep going. So that was their way of kind of trying to prepare us maybe. Um, but that ended up not having anything to do with what we, uh, what was ahead of us. But our 12 week ultrasound, I remember laying on the table, um, and they were just checking out the baby's heartbeat and, and I remember, um, I just remember looking at the doctor's face and I remember this just real sudden change and it's like his face went white and all the emotion kind of left his face. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I think Jaime's making jokes, cracking up in the corner and so he's having a good time. But I just, I just remember like for me, everything kind of stopped in that moment, moment and, um, and he walked out and he's like, I'll be right back. And so I look over at Jaime and I'm like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I know something's wrong. And he's like, no, you know, he's trying to reassure me. And he's like in the most incredibly positive, thank goodness, person mm-hmm. in my life. Yep. Um, so, but I, I just, you know, I just knew there was just such a an instinct, I think, in my gut that something was up. And so he came back in and, and he um, he told us that our, our baby had a birth defect um, and that you know, th- though he was safe and sound in the womb, that when he would be born, um, that he would die. Um, part of his skull just did not quite form all the way, um, and it's called anencephaly. Um, and so he tried to give us some details on the diagnosis, and it was like... I bet you couldn't even think. Yeah, I was like... You couldn't even focus on I'm, it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm trying to take it in. I'm looking over at Jaime. The nurse is, it has tears running down her cheek, and I'm, I'm again, kind of just in shock a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, you know, and, and then it was it just felt like back-to-back-to-back-to-back blows. I mean, even just spending the whole pregnancy with that, that vomiting syndrome, um, just it was just like I felt like I could not get my head above water. I'm like, just give me, I just need a breath. Somebody give me a breath. And he was kind of like another blow. And he was telling us all the information about it. And he kind of gets to the end of, of his talk. And he, he's like, I've never had a couple uh, who wanted to carry this, um, to carry a baby with, you know, honestly, with a death sentence, pretty much. So um, 
just let me know when you want to come in for the um, termination and we'll get that all set up. And, and he was very, I mean, gentle and kind about it, but at the same time, he, he did say, you know, just, he didn't really go and say, think about it, but he said, just take a few days to let it settle in and then make your appointment. Um, kind of like assuming you would. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and honestly, I, I'll be honest. I, at first I considered it cause I was like, okay, is this what you're supposed to do? I'd, I'd never been pregnant. I, I was confused. Uh, I was like, is, is this because my health is in jeopardy? Like I, I'm like, I'll just follow doc- doctor's orders. Um, and so just a thousand thoughts running through my mind. But, um, I remember, I mean, we left that day and we did not want to face Houston traffic. So we just kind of, we hung around town for a while. And I remember both sad and funny. I remember sitting in P.F. Chang's, you know, with tears dripping into our, our food. We still cleared our plates, but we, uh, we just, we kind of tried to like take our minds off it a bit. Yet we were constantly reminded of, what we were just told, like we went to see a movie and they had this big, uh, preview about, um, babies and babies being born. And so oh, it was like, geez. Oh, okay, here we go. Um, but in that afternoon we called both of our families and it's just so, it was so hard to, to not only say we're pregnant, but also, oh, uh, the baby's going to die, but it hasn't died, but it's going to die. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to gosh. explain. Um, I just, you know, it's been a number of years now, um, five, five years, I guess now, but at that time I had never heard of anencephaly. Our families hadn't. So it was, it was quite hard to explain to them. We hadn't had a miscarriage, but, um, but our, our son is going to die. Um, and so we took a couple of weeks, um, to kind of process through it. And I, I know that. I, I went through a lot of different scenarios and talked through with my mom quite a bit, actually. And everyone kind of just didn't know what to say or what to do or suggest. And I knew that whatever was decided, I needed to have peace with because I was going to carry this all my days. So I, I just had this reoccurring thought of the one thing I don't think I could get past was if they had to stop his heart. Mm. Um, I just... After losing my dad, like to a heart attack, I was like, I just can't. I don't. I know I'd be alive past that, but I don't. I would never be the same, and yeah. you're never the same, anyways. But if it was up to you, yeah, if it was up to me, I just I couldn't end something like that. Um, so I I kind of shifted my perspective, and I thought, you know what, um, he's still here, and I want to make the most of every moment I can. And I always think I always refer to like you know, if you had um, a parent or a grandparent or someone who um, had a terrible diagnosis and they were given months to live, would you just end it Terminate them then? Yeah, Yeah, or or would you spend every waking moment with them, talking with them or making memories? And and granted, my child was in my belly the whole time, but, um, and and that's harder for, of course, a husband to connect with than than the the wife, especially your first pregnancy and stuff, but... um, but you know, we we just we chose to look at what be, we had been given, and not just about what was going to be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we made as memory many memories as we could while he was in the womb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what were some of those memories? We uh, I I read him a lot of stories, and mm-hmm. I sang him a lot of songs. So I always hoped mm-hmm. he could hear my voice and mm-hmm. know it well. 
um, we would go like soccer games, basketball games, and um, we had instead of a baby shower, we just had a celebration of his life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just fun things. Even if it was just Jaime and I just spending time together, um, yeah, kind of feeling like a family. Just moments. Yeah. 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 So, um, you, the time comes to uh, to give birth, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, so whatever you can share about that, yeah. you know, what that was like for you to yeah. experience him in, you know, eye to eye. Yeah. I, um, so we knew we had set the, um, they had to do a C-section and, um, I knew that they were going to have to put me completely under to be able to do it and do it safely. Cause I was still, uh, very symptomatic with my disease. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I wrote up this huge birth plan and just all the different scenarios. If this happens and I want this, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and they were, um, an incredible team of doctors and nurses, very honoring of, of what we wanted. And, um, we had lots of family and friends fly in and, um, very thankful for that. Um, so yeah, so on the day we get there early and we, they take me in for C-section and, um, cause I wasn't awake until a while later, but I just remember all the pictures of, um, them taking London out of the belly and they sh- kind of raised him up to the glass so Jaime could see him. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I always wonder what, what went through Jaime's mind when, when he saw that, but there's, mm-hmm. uh, we had a photographer who captured a lot of those moments. That's yeah. incredible to see yeah. just pure joy, a smile you've never had when you see your first child. Um, and you know, they had pictures of him walking through the hall, taking him back to our main room with our friends and family. Mm-hmm. And, um, they woke me up pretty quickly, yeah. um, which I'm, I'm glad, but it was, it was a little, um, it, there was a, it was a little traumatizing at first because the pain was pretty severe yeah. to be, uh, I, I think they, maybe it was adrenaline or some, some kind of something to stimulate me. Um, but I wanted Every you chance, to be there. yeah, and I and I had pre- kind of prepared myself like I may not see him alive. Babies with anencephaly don't live very long. It can be minutes, hours. Uh, a very small amount of them can live a couple of days or weeks, but um, the majority of the time is within a couple hours, even. Um, yeah. And so they woke me up, and uh, I remember, I, I remember I asked if he was alive, and Jaime had him, and um, I think the nurse helped them put him on like right on my chest um and i i remember to this day what that felt like it's just i'm thankful that i could still i i just i literally can feel it it's so mm-hmm. cool mm. um and he laid there for about an hour and about every like five ten minutes they would come check his pulse and i'd always see like the nurse's finger would kind of go up and down with the rhythm of the pulse and um and so I just talked to him quite a bit and I told him about, um, his dad and who I was and, um, and I, and I talked to him about what I, I knew was going to happen. And, um, and then it finally got to a point where the nurse came and she did the pulsing again and, and then the, um, and then her finger just didn't move anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of like another moment where everything shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I Interest, like losing my dad was a shock, and then all of a sudden, when this happened, it was like I at least I could prepare for it a bit. But then it's like just don't ever, you don't know how to prepare to lose your child, mm-hmm. um, and so all of a sudden her finger didn't move, and I just remember I whispered to him, "You can go, it's okay, mm-hmm. you can go now." Um, 
and you know, I just had this image that he just kind of flew away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very, very, very thankful to know where he is mm-hmm. and where he went in that moment. There is such a peace that was put in my heart, even even though there's a lot of emptiness there, uh, as well as anger and sadness and all kinds of that stuff mm-hmm. that any human would feel. But there is no doubt great peace in my heart. Um, and I and I again I I try to um, honor his death, but always focus on his life, mm-hmm. even though it was short. Um, and always look at what I've been given, and not not what you know. I, I wish he was beside me, but uh, I've got him above me, and mm-hmm. I know what awaits me. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> I don't know how you get through stuff like that without. A relationship oh, with gosh. with God, you know. I just don't know how. I don't know either. I I mean, I that's like one of the most hardest things for me to process is people who go through that, and even in worse, more things that I've been through, and they don't know the Lord. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just I want to find them, and I want to I want to tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ah uh, well, uh, you have a tattoo. Yes. on your wrist yes. and it says fight. Yes. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I got this. So during that chunk of time when I was out on the road, had dogs and road manager in the car and playing show after show, we were randomly uh, in Houston. And th- so I met my husband, Jaime in Houston. Um, and this is when we were just friends. I was dating somebody else at the time. And uh, Jaime was with us though. And he had kind of helped us set up a show. Um, and I was like, you know, I really want a tattoo. I'd wanted this. I'm not a tattoo person. Like, I'm, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I'm like, I'm not just going to get anything random, but this is something I had thought about for years. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I, I was like, I really want fight on my wrist. Um, and so we went and I mean, it's five letters, but oh, the amount of squeezing I did on people's hands when they, <laughs> they put that needle on my wrist. Um, but it, I'm I'm glad to have it because all those years I laid in bed. Um, if I saw nothing else that day, I could look at my wrist and just just told me to keep going, keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it means. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, you have been fighting, and you keep yeah. going, and yeah. you keep doing it. Yeah. Um, very, very valiantly. Thank you guys you. Um, have an amazing story, uh, and uh, you know, not many people would be able to get through it. What would you say? Um, are the, 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 in your words, the reasons you were able to, you stand here today, even going through the series of hardships with your father passing, with your, um, your Lyme disease, with your, your son passing, um, have I missed anything? Do I cover pretty much most of it? Those are the big ones. Yeah. So what, why are you still standing here today? And singing about God, I'm, you could be very mad at him. Yeah. Oh, I, I've I have cursed the heavens uh, many a times. Um, I went through a lot of that, not ever feeling a whole lot of anger, and then I all of a sudden got to a period of time um, where I was just incredibly angry. Um, but I will say, through through a lot of it, I've always had this like peaceful understanding that. You hear that you hear that saying like the Lord is 
sometimes when you're going through a hardship that the Lord is trying to teach you something. Um, and you, or you get a lot of the sayings of, um, he won't give you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then you go through your child dying on your chest, and that's more than I can handle. Um, and the Lord is not trying to teach me something through that be- or because of that or something. I mean, the Lord has taught me a lot throughout that, but he's not up there saying, okay, it's your turn to go through something. And mm-hmm. um, that is just not the way the Father loves and this is where, as much as I wish I still have my dad, I'm so, so, so thankful that I had his example of a father's love. Because I have friends who their dad was absent. Um, so I, I really, again, as hard as life has been, I have so many blessings. And that was one of them is just my foundation where I, the way I saw my dad love the Lord and the way that I can think back on the way that my dad loved me is just a scrapping compared to the way the Heavenly Father loves us. Mm. Even say, though you lost your father, you, though, you knew oh how gosh. much he loved you. And oh, gosh, yeah. How did he love you? Oh, my gosh. Without question. If I needed him, he was there. He didn't care about the details. He didn't care what I'd done. He'd just wrap his arms around me, and he'd make it okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. You've, you've got quite a story to tell. Yep. You're going to be going... In, traveling and promoting the heck out of this album here in the next two years, probably. (laughs) Um, Or actually several albums. You're going to do an EP and then maybe another EP. Yep. Which is an EP (laughs) is a technical term for a shorter album. (laughs) So tell me about the song, uh, just a few songs or maybe the first single or or something about the album that you're going to be carrying and and speaking to people about. Yeah. So this past, um, the past six months, well, really the past year, probably a year ago even, um, it was right around this time where one of the first songs I wrote for this, at least this process, was Upstairs in Your House with your wife, Chrissy. Um, and so it's been a year since we started writing for this record. Um, in the past six months, we've tracked uh, about 10 songs, and so six were chosen to be on this EP. And the six songs that we all kind of decided on really tell a lot of what I've just shared today. I mean, it tells a lot of my story. Um some of the titles, like uh, and one of the songs you know is Lift My Eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, another song uh, we wrote for our church called As It Is in Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the more just storytelling personal songs, a song called Not Even Now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of lyrics, not even now are you defeated. Not even now are you alone. Not even now are you less than almighty God. Not even, not even now. Mm-hmm. So even though all of this stuff has happened, um, he hasn't abandoned you, and he is not bad. He is mm. always good, even even when you're in the worst of it. He's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these songs are going to tell the story. Um, yeah, so I'm very I'm very excited. It'll be emotional at times. I know I'll tell my story quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's always, even though it's you know the details are the same, but it's there's always a different feel depending on who you share it with. Sure. One on one versus one in a hundred or one in a thousand or sure. or just saying it to a, a camera. But um I always hope I can tell it and that it's just received with, with honesty and just what life really looks like sometimes. It's not you know, I was sick yesterday, and I had a, a couple sick days last week. I mean, I, I still have Lyme. And but you did get to run. I did get to run. I, You're a big runner. I fight through it. Running is a huge thing you for get, me. Everybody yeah. needs to follow Elisa <laughs> Turner. Is it just Elisa Turner on Instagram? So on Instagram, it's Elisa Turner Music. Okay. 
Yeah. Elisa Turner Music. And I'm a yeah, runner. You're always documenting yes. your stories. Yes. <laughs> running in weird places. Yes. And I wish I could have run with you because I I would have wanted a challenge. Yes. Uh, I heard Farron. Now, this is a true story. According to Farron, he said, Michael oh! Farron said he let you in. He's going to stick Friday. to that. So we all, with all the whole integrity staff had a 5K, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I, I typically run about 10 miles. But even though that sounds like a lot, I'm a pretty slow, steady runner. I'm mm-hmm. always about, I want to just complete it. Mm-hmm. So the 5K I was like, this will be a good warm up. Uh, <laughs> Farron was a couple people behind me. So I don't know how he thinks. It's not like he was right behind me. Let me win. Right. So, but, um, you know, I'm going to let him have that if that makes him feel better. But yeah. I did technically win that 5K. Yes, you did. You did. And that kept, I think you were in danger of losing your record deal if you didn't win that 5K. No, I ran with all my heart. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you've got, you got a good, a good race to run and yeah. you've got, um, an amazing story, great things ahead. Thank you. And, yes. um, you know, I always wonder why so many young people get an opportunity, get more opportunities and you're young still, yeah. I'm not saying you're old, yeah. but I'm saying you've lived a lot of life in yeah. your, in your young years. Yeah. We need people in the church. We yeah. need, we need people who have lived life. Yeah. Like you have who, when you sing, um, not even now, yeah. I know your story and it moves me more yeah. to know that you can sing that with all your heart and mean it. That means I can sing that yeah. when I'm going through something difficult, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine going through anything more difficult than you've been through. Mm-hmm. So that means a lot to me. That's so cool to hear. Yeah. So I'm I'm incredibly excited for what God is going to do through you and in you and Thank you. and how your uh, ministry is going to um, move forward from here. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Elisa, for yeah. giving me this much time and Absolutely. and sharing with the courageous community. Um, where can people find you? And connect with you. Yeah, so uh, so probably the easiest would be just to go to the website, alisaturner.com, and on there are all the links for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I try to stay pretty active on there, at least on a daily basis, so um, yeah. Yeah, you are. And it's alisa, A-L-I-S-A, turner.com. I'm going to yes. put everything in the show notes. Awesome. So we'll have all those links there for you guys at courageouscommunity.com. Yeah. All right, Elisa, thanks for spending time with oh, me. Thanks for having me. God bless you. In April 2016, I started the Courage Cast with a vision to share encouraging, inspirational, and motivational messages through a daily podcast and community. With the podcast, I wanted to vulnerably share about my life through my mistakes, what I've learned in business and in life. I believe we were all made with so much more potential than we live out in our lives. Through the podcast and the Courageous Community, I want to help you break through to greater expression of your gifts and talents in business and in life. It takes hundreds of dollars of for technical gear, online fees, and dozens of labor hours to produce and promote each podcast episode every week. 
I want to continue bringing more inspirational and motivating guests on the podcast and improve the quality of each episode. In order to continue to do that, I need your support. We haven't reached the download numbers yet to ask for advertising, so that's why we decided to partner with Patreon. With your support, we will be able to make this podcast better, grow our reach, and have a large, thriving, courageous community. Check out the membership tiers. As a Courageous Community member, you'll be getting encouraging resources every day. We have a weekly live community call where we'll dive deeper into the issues we're all dealing with. We'll have times of prayer and connection that will help remind you that we can't do this alone. We need community. As a community member, you'll access special bonus content that you won't hear on the podcast, plus an exclusive segment of rapid-fire questions with the guests of the podcast. We even have a monthly courage box for VIP members, which includes a Courageous Community t-shirt, a monthly personal development book, and a monthly coaching call where we discuss the book and other important matters related to your development. We'll throw in some other surprises into that courage box too. Once we hit 100 patrons, we're going to begin to feature patron stories on the podcast. And once we hit 500 patrons, we'll have enough momentum to announce the first ever Courage Conference where we can get together in person, hear great speakers, and encourage one another together towards greater things. I'm so excited about the future of the Courage Cast and the Courageous Community. Visit www.patreon.com slash couragecast to learn how to become a member of the Courageous Community. That's patreon.com slash couragecast. Well, friends... We're coming to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Courage Cast. Wasn't that interview with Elisa so inspiring? I mean, this woman has incredible testimony, and we wish her nothing but blessing upon blessing upon blessing in her travels as she shares her story, because so many people are hurting. We all need to hear this the hope of the gospel that she's going to be singing about and the worship that she's going to be leading in going forward. So uh, all the best to you, Elisa. Thanks for being part of the Courageous Community. Here are my takeaways from this episode. The first is, the Lord is never going to bring you into what you cannot handle. You're not in this alone. He has never left you and he has never forsaken you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overcome you, Accept what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a good promise from him. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes the best way to step out of depression is to look at what has been given versus what has been taken away. Wow. That's, uh, that's a big takeaway. Big takeaway. Look at what has been given. Focus on what has been given rather than what has been taken away. And that is a sure way. Gratefulness, thankfulness is a sure way out. And lastly, pain is seasonal. But what? But that season sometimes requires an army to fight alongside you. Surround yourself with an army of people who are strong enough to carry your burdens. Get in community. Get in community. Uh, is so good. Get get in the word, get in the truth of who you are, begin to speak that truth, and then remind yourself that it's only a season and that it is changing. It is changing. 
Well, friends, that is the end of another episode. I want to um, announce next week's guest before I go. And next week's guest is someone I mentioned in the beginning. His name is Pat Flynn, and he is the founder of Smart Passive Income, smartpassiveincome.com, and the Smart Passive Income podcast, as well as Ask Pat and SPI TV. This guy has been my hero, and I get to interview him. He's been my hero in the online marketing space, and I get to interview him, and I can't wait to share that interview with you, my courageous community audience. It's fun. It's a good interview. You're going to love it. He talks about his fear of failure, his uh, ups and downs in his career, how he was able to go from earning nothing in 2008 to now he earns well over hundreds, maybe even 200000 a month now at this point uh, with his online marketing business. Uh, great success story all around. Great guy. Good guy. I'm very proud to interview him and proud to share him with the Courageous community. I think you're going to love it. All right. Well, just don't forget, Uh, You heard the quick little ad there that I talked about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash couragecast. Check that out. Uh, We'd appreciate so much your monthly support to help keep this podcast running. If you're getting value from this, thanks for considering supporting the CourageCast. Uh, also next get your make sure that you do not forget to get your free confidence pdf and video when you visit courageouscommunity.com i want to provide an encouragement to you and a way out of the discouragement that you might be feeling and if you are discouraged and don't be afraid to admit that takes a lot of humility to do that go to courageouscommunity.com get your free video and pdf and you'll be well on your way to getting clear and getting your vision back for where you're heading Listen, if you enjoy this podcast, take 30 seconds and give this podcast a rating and review. I want to thank Matt Price for providing, again, the great bumper music for this show. And also, Elisa Turner and Integrity Music for providing the bumper music of the Elisa Turner section of this. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful segments. Uh, I loved it. Enjoyed having a little something different to play. Well, that's it for me, friends. I'm Eric Nordoff, and I'm going to be back next week for another great episode with Pat Flynn on the Courage Cast podcast. <laughs>